Hello, business builders. Welcome to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we interview founders of America's fastest growing companies. Our mission is to arm you with the tools and the confidence to scale your own venture. So to that end, every now and then, we gladly welcome a non-founder leader, thinker, or influencer to help you do just that. I'm Drew McClure. My co-host is Jordan Mitchell, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, friends, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having not just a founder, but also a friend on the show. Cindy Filer, founder and CEO of Innovative Outsourcing, is on the podcast with us, and she is kick-ass. Innovative Outsourcing is the leader in non-traditional staffing solutions. She works with clients like Chick-fil-A, Atlanta Bread, Walton Communities, and many more that I have time to read. Cindy started the company 20 years ago after leaving the professional world to raise her son, Matt. She saw an opportunity to find a match between high-performing professionals that wanted to work part-time with the companies that needed those roles affordably. Today, her company's placements have almost double the employee tenure of their competitors. We are pumped to have her. Cindy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Welcome. We are honored. We are honored. So here, everyone's got such a wild story uh, in life in general, and especially in business, and especially in Corona. But if we could back up just a minute, can you take us to uh, maybe the moment before the moment? Like, how did we get even into this business to starting it? What, what was maybe the series of events that kicked it off for you? Yeah, so it kind of all came back to one um, particular event that's the birth of our son. So put a placeholder in that, and then okay. we're going to go backwards a little bit. So I graduated from Wake Forest in... And with a degree in mathematical economics in um, uh, when I was uh, 22 years old and decided I wanted to go to work for a bank. Um, so I went to work for a bank. I was a corporate lender. I was doing, you know, regular things, then decided to come to work for Delta Airlines. And at Delta, um, when I started working here, they kind of put us in a management training program. And we got to decide um, through um, a lot of, um, a lot of, experiences in other areas of the company what we wanted to do but with my finance background and a mathematical economics major delta decided that my best career path was hr and oh. i was so angry and i was like why i'm this numbers girl i love data i love analytics and at that point that was kind of unusual for a woman coming out of school yet they put me in human resources which i looked at as kind of a touchy-feely soft career and right, I, right. kind of odd. And I remember being very frustrated and um, remember that in a minute, because we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later about what that frustration did. But um, over the course of a few years at Delta in HR, I decided I absolutely love HR. It's one of those things I look back and I think I'm so thankful that they saw that in me. Um, because what was happening back in human resources about that time was that it was going from this touchy feely, more psychology approach to a numbers driven approach. And so I was able to be on the front end of when they brought in data and analytics into compensation and all those kind of things. So that was really fun. So I started um, working in Delta and then ended up um, helping to form the HR division for one of their subsidiaries. So I find myself 27. Um, my husband and I had been married for five years and we decided to have our first child, Matt. And um, about that time, I, I was... 100% I'm going to stay in my career. I'm going to, you know, have Matt go to daycare, which was just fine. Yeah. Um, and it, through a series of events, I felt like um, 
I was needing to stay home with Matt. So again, it was a total 180 for me. I had not, never planned on being a stay-at-home mom. Um, and then just through a series of um, events, I decided I was supposed to be home. Not that everybody is, but I was supposed to be. So sure. I tried to be obedient, stayed home, and quickly realized, wow, it's hard to stay home with kids, right? Um, I had a staff and I had a traveling budget. And boy, it's really <laughs> fun to get dressed up and come to work. Being home with the kid all day, that's really tough. Yeah. Um, but I still felt like that that's what I was supposed to do. And so I was very fortunate that a couple of my companies that I had worked for, they called me and asked me to do some things. Some, some asked me to do financial things because remember I had that finance background and some asked me to do HR things. So while Matt was napping, um, I got to do a little bit of finance, a little bit of HR um, until they told two friends and they told two friends and then I had wow. way more work than I could do. Um, and I started recognizing that smaller and smaller companies were asking me to do work and that there might be a possibility that small companies needed great talent less than 40 hours a week. Ah. So it was just one of those um, interesting things. It, back when I started um, staying home, it was kind of like you worked full time or you didn't work at all. There was no in between. Mm. And so I just felt a real uh, moral obligation, I'll say. And, um, and I just felt like I was supposed to be a person that was being called to helping people that wanted to work long-term part-time. That wow. it was kind of my missional life. It wasn't so much that um, I was listening to all the other podcasts you guys have done and everybody had this vision of starting a company. I really didn't. I had the vision of helping a lot of moms and dads who wanted to work part-time and still be in their career and yes. still get home with their kids. Um, so it was more... I, at first I was giving away jobs, right? I would find these people um, on the playground, in the mall, in my Sunday school class. And I'd be like, hey, do you want a few hours of work? Yeah, I heard you're a CPA. And my husband even found one of my favorite employees on the playground at church. So, you know, at that, at that time, it was, just, um, it was just amazing how people were coming out of the woodwork and saying, hey, I hear you're finding part-time work for people with great backgrounds. Um, that now are staying at home. So anyway, wow. so in, um, that's how we founded Innovative Outsourcing. We, we existed to create a way for, um, at that point, just parents, um, or mostly parents, to be um, stay-at-home parents and still work a few hours a week. And wow. That, that, so that's how that idea was born. And then um, we started it 26 years ago. And over that period of time, we have grown it um, we have changed it, we have moved it, but it still exists primarily to help those kind of people. Now, sometimes they're moms, sometimes they're dads, sometimes they're small business owners just starting out and needing a little bit of an income along the way. Sometimes they're um, people trying to stay home and help their sick parents. You know, there's a lot of reasons for people that are just fed up with corporate America. There's a lot of reasons that people want to work part-time. Sure. Um, and we feel like that's a very missional to help all of them however we can. We also hire full-time now um, because a lot of our people that used to work part-time for us, maybe while their kids were young, all of a sudden their kids go to college and they go, oh, I think we really would like to have a full-time job and we really want to help them do that too. And it's just really fun to be able to be play matchmaker between these small businesses as well as um, the people. Wow. Um, so that's how we got started and that's what we still do today. Um, you know, there's some iteration around uh, along the way and you change what you do and you change what you sell. And, um, but it has been, it has been a true blessing. And so I started out and when the kids were little, I would work five hours a week. When they got to middle school or um, elementary school, I'd work about 10 hours a week. Um, 
And then I, the most I worked was about 20 hours a week when the kids were in high school. And, you know, now I work full time at it because the kids are gone and grown and married. And I so even have our son, Matt, who I actually left for, he actually came to work for us. So he actually is in our business development area now. So that's really kind of come full circle. This is a full, full cycle. This is amazing because in some ways you created the business to solve your own, your own life cycle of, of work, which right. is, uh, is really cool. Yeah. I love that. Well, yeah, yeah I was going to say what, what I think is beautiful. Uh, there's much about this that is, that is beautiful, but you, you mentioned listening to the other uh, founders on the podcast and feeling a difference, but where the similar, where the similarity is, is any business that's sustainable growing and any good is solving a problem, right? Like that is the, that is the core of business is there's a problem and we found a way to solve it and there's the exchange of value, right? But what's different sometimes is the driver might be that I actually just want to own a business. And so I found a problem to solve versus yours came the other way around, which is I saw the problem that I cared about personal to me, personal to those around me. And I created a business because mm. of that. And that's much more of a passion driven business, which is clear in the way you talk about it, uh, which is really neat. And my, I have several questions, but my first question, just to clarify, when you were working five hours a week, then 10, then 20, is that including even as you know, like along that time, were you building the actual business around you? Or is that just five hours a week as you doing a part-time role uh, as an HR person in different functions? Yeah, good question. So about a year or two in, I decided there was no way for me to actually do the work any longer. I really had to run the company. So right. that's when we hired all those people out of the playgrounds and everything else to do the work. So I stopped doing consulting very early on. Interesting enough, I'm doing it again now, which we'll get to later. But, um, but uh, yeah, I stopped doing it and I started hiring a staff around me um, because mm -hmm. I quickly realized that if I was only going to be able to work a few hours a week, I needed to work at the thing that I was the best at. Mm -hmm. So I had to really learn how to become, uh, decide what I was best at and then hire well around me. Right. Yeah. So yeah. That, that was born the, okay, this is what I'm good at. And everybody else I need to hire part-time on my team. Yeah. Um, and, you know, somebody said the other day I was getting interviewed for something and they said, you know, well, that was just so visionary, you know, to be really good at the, your core thing. And I was like, no, I had to drive carpool. So I'd, yeah. like to, <laughs> I'd like to say that it was really smart and I was thinking and I'd read all these books and listened to all this stuff. But yeah. honestly, I just had a few hours a week and I had to drive carpool wow. and I had to yeah. you know, make lunches and those kind of things. Let's stay there for a second. Uh, Cause I'd be curious to see like the, the mistakes, what lessons did you learn hiring in that, you know, one to two years, I'm sure you didn't get every single hire, right? Maybe you did. And, and we can all envy you, but like, what have you learned? Because you're helping other people hire the right people. What did you learn as you were hiring? Like thinking I was delegating skill sets, but actually I should have delegated this faster. Or actually I made an error here because I hired this person and, and I shouldn't have gone that way because of what, you know, whatever that, that might've been. And I learned that I do it this way. Now I'd be curious to see like, what lessons did you learn in your own hiring towards delegation? You know, delegate to elevate is a phrase we use often that I like, like, what did you learn in the midst of that? How did you make some mistakes? What'd you do really well? Even what you want me to do is me being the staffing and recruiting expert. You wanted me to tell you how I'm bad at that. <laughs> well, yeah. 20, 26 years ago, 26 years ago. I might've been better at it than I am now, but I'm kidding. Um, so <laughs> I think that um, it was, it's very easy to 
it's very easy to hire if you know what you're looking for and if you know um, if you if you know the pitfalls what I didn't know then that I do know now is that you can't hire everybody that you want to go to dinner with right so I'm gonna hire somebody that's just like me because they're you know we get along and we have the same Myers-Briggs and we mm -hmm. like the same things and we both all think the same way and so that's that's the kind of people that I'm drawn to in an interview right I'm really good at picking people that are just like me but if you pick a bunch of people just like you there's nobody to do all those other things right right For example, yeah. I have no detail orientation at all I'm visionary if I don't hire an executor or somebody that can actually do this stuff I'm in real trouble so, but yeah. those people are kind of the Debbie Downers sometimes, right? They tell me we can't do that. We don't want to do that. And we don't have the money for that. But I had to learn that I had to hire the things that I'm bad at. And mm -hmm. so early on, I hired some people that were very similar to me. Well, that was just great. But then again, we looked back and a lot of things weren't getting done correctly. Um, yeah, the other thing- great I, dinner parties. Yeah, great dinner parties and we didn't get much done. But mm -hmm. the other, we dreamed a lot but we just didn't execute, right? We had these great brainstorming sessions and never got anything finished. Um, but the other thing I, I have learned along the way of hiring specifically or keeping people on board is that I am the master at if somebody doesn't work out originally in their job, I am so for them because, you know, I'm all about culture and everything else that I'm so for them that I try them in four other positions. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of looking at the business operation and say, what do I need done? I say, how can I morph this person into something that might work? And that's wow. a mistake. Right. Yeah. Um, because it sounds nice at the front end, but when you have somebody in a position that actually isn't working out and you keep trying them at different holes in the company, the rest of the staff looks and they know. Yeah. Right. And then you look like you can't lead. So, yeah. you know, I think I learned is that if there is the square peg and there's no square holes, it's probably time to say, hey, let me find, help you find something else. And that's been one of my harder things to learn over the years. Yeah. I am bad at it. I'm still bad. Wow. wow. Yeah. What a great insight. Um, you know, one of my questions, I have a twofold question for you right on the same subject. One is you were doing, you were running a company on five hours a week. And most people can't have a meeting in five hours. So there's so many, as business owners, there's so many things that are popping up on your plate and attention and those kinds of things. And so my first question is, it could just be all about hiring. Like you just from the get go hired the executor and you hired those different people. But was there anything else? Like to me, that's, that is actually very encouraging to hear that maybe there's a whole bunch of wasted time or energy that maybe the constraint created that a realization that here's what matters most. And so just on the strategy side, like do you look back and think of what really did streamline it where the business was still getting done what needed to get done and I wasn't giving it maximal amount of time that I, everybody assumes we have to have now. Right. But remember this was 26 years ago. And so here's the way placement worked 26 years ago. Had this three ring binder. And in the front of the three ring binder, these were the people that had come to me on the playgrounds and said, I want to be an X, right? And I wrote their name down, you know, Jenny Smith, right? And then I took Jenny Smith's resume and I punched it with three holes and I stuck it in the three ring binder. The back of the three ring binder were companies that would call me and say, I needed this. And I wrote their names down. And then I would compare the people on the front of the binder and the back of the binder. <laughs> 
you know, things were a little simpler then, you know, we yeah. weren't sending out email campaigns. We weren't doing about direct marketing. In fact, my marketing would be when I had companies call me and say, oh my gosh, this is the best thing. I never knew you could hire somebody part-time. How can I help you? I'd be, the answer that came out of my mouth was please don't tell anybody else because we do not have any more time to do any more people. Wow. <laughs> So that was kind of where we were, because remember, to me, it was ministry. It was mission. It was, how do I help people? Um, wow. And so I was doing it kind of out of the goodness of my heart. And then I, re I remember saying, okay, I need to take some cash for this. So I ended up charging 10% upcharge. So if anybody knows anything now, most people are 70% upcharge. So it was almost, it was just r ridiculous amount of money that I was taking for people. Um, so yeah, so it was different then, yeah. right? You know, right. fast forward to now, we have an applicant tracking system that's this behemoth that we have a person that has to be on my staff to run. And we have marketing programs and salespeople. And, you know, it's, you can do anything small, right? Right. Um, right. It's just complicated. I always laugh to say that some of my favorite times in my company is when my staff has been small mm. um, because it's just easier. When your staff gets bigger and then you have two or three degrees of separation, it's harder. Um, sure, yeah. I'm not saying it's sure. not worth it sometimes, but we're staffing companies. So as a staffing company, you'll know that you go, you expand and contract yeah. based on the economy. That's just how it goes. Right. And For so sure. you know, some years you're huge and some years you're small and that's just how staffing works. And so yeah. you have to do that. And so you have to love the times when your staff has smaller hours and when your staff has bigger hours, but it was, it's always been a great business model because for those um, years that where we didn't have a lot of work, um, my staff that's part-time just worked less, right? We yeah. didn't have to lay anybody off. And then when we had years of plenty, they worked many more hours because we had many more jobs. So it's nice having an all part-time, well, now mostly part-time staff. So still, it's still mostly part-time staff? It is, except for my one um, son business development person. All of my staff has always been part-time. Wow. So, um, yeah. So it's been a great model because I wanted to live what we sold. So I wanted to be able to go to our clients and say, yes, you can have a part-time controller. And the reason I know that works is because I run an entire company and have for 20 years with the part-time staff. Yeah. Right. Wow. So these are not, these are not bad employees. These are not people that, um, you know, that work part-time because they can't find anything. Um, you know, my, the person who's my controller used to be a controller at Georgia Pacific. And then she, um, had two kids in one year because she adopted and she needed a job from home, met her in my Sunday school class. And she's been my controller now for about 20 years. Wow. So, you know, and these people are high level people, but they right. chosen to do something different because they want work-life balance. Well, and that's hmm. where I think your business model is so interesting and obviously needed is that most of the time when I think of part-time work and probably most people when think of part-time work, they think of low-skill jobs, yeah. right? But you guys have found that there's a, a whole market and need for part-time high-skilled jobs, uh, which I think is amazing. And then second, I just want to clarify, um, are most of the people working for you that are part-time, is that the only job they're working or are they part-time at other places as well? Yeah. So my staff, so we have a staff. staff that's exactly. outsourcing. They're just mine. Right. right? Um, They're just yours. Them, yeah. Most of them work about, you know, 20 to 30 hours. Okay. And that's all they want to work. Um, Perfect. 
the other people, because again, we place two different ways. One, we allow people to hire them directly from us. So if you're the XYZ company and you want a part-time bookkeeper, you can hire them directly from us and then they're never on my payroll. Or okay. if you want to keep them on my payroll, then I'll put them on my payroll as a W-2. So I do have a lot of people that are W-2s on my payroll that right. work for companies and they may work for one or two companies. So they may okay. do 10 hours a week with one company and 20 um, with another. Most people gotcha. do not want to work full time though. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'm going to lob a question at you that I'm not even quite sure where to go. I just think it's an interesting topic that has come up already in here that I'd love just to hear your thoughts on. Uh, so we've, we've talked from the beginning about constraint, right? That you, you didn't choose it and you even look back and I think you're generous in uh, making the circumstances sound so favorable towards you when I think you showed some real brilliance in how you started this company, even if it was 26 years ago and just a binder. Uh, but I know this from creativity first, uh, on studies on creativity, that if you actually have too many options, it greatly hinders creativity. But every creative person thinks they need unlimited options. They, they hate the idea of discipline or boxing me in. Yet great, great people like Quentin Tarantino and whatever will actually move towards smaller budget and actually enter competitions where the constraints are limited. Like you have to create a story inside of one room with two people and a chair. And it's a creative story competition, right? And they say that creativity thrives because of the constraints, right? And then I saw this in weddings because I was a pastor and I did like 30 weddings in five years. And I saw that if you gave yourself two years to plan a wedding, a wedding takes two years to plan. And then I saw if you gave yourself three months to plan a wedding, a wedding takes three months to plan, right? And then I started seeing that in business right? If you give yourself a year to hit that goal, it usually takes a year. If you gave yourself a quarter, sometimes it only takes a quarter to hit that goal. And so I'll, I just wonder, do you have any thoughts around constraints and like actually using them, right? Where yeah. you, you, you've created some constraints on the part-time work and things like that. Like, I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. I think we waste so much time when we reject constraints. And sometimes we can actually go counterintuitive and impose constraints that brings out some really great innovation. Yeah, I think early on, it was pretty apparent to me that I either had to create a boundary for my time. So I'm one of those kind of people that I might work 70 hours a week if I could, right? Like that's, it's my, I'm a builder, I'm a innovator, I really like to work, like it's really fun for me, right? So with that backdrop, um, remember that I felt like I was called to stay home with my kid, right? Um, and that I was going to be true to that. I was going to be obedient to that. Right. So I knew that I had to make a hard stop hours wise. And so I did. So every year I would make a decision and my husband and I would talk about it. How many hours am I going to put a week towards innovative outsourcing? Because wow. I knew that without that, I was going to, I was not going to do the thing that I was felt like I was being called to do, which was to stay home. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then I would go to like, my, I was part of a CEO roundtable organization. And I remember them telling me, Cindy, if you would just put 40 or 50 hours a week into this for five years, you know, you could sell it and then retire because it's such a great idea. And I said, yeah, but for those five years, I'm going to miss all of those events with my kids. And it wasn't worth the cost to me. So mm -hmm. I had to create that boundary. So I think when I created that boundary, like I had said a little bit earlier, it made a um, difference that I had to then go find talent outside of myself. So I didn't try to be the person who read the book to learn marketing. I didn't try to be the person that read the book to learn how to be my own, my own controller, 
Um, you know, instead, I really said, I'm an HR professional. That's mm. what I do. And so let's go find people that are way better than I am for all these other things. And I kind of think that's why Innovative Outsourcing succeeded, not because I was smart, but because of that constraint of, I will not work more than this many hours because I do not want to miss my kids growing wow. up. Right. Yeah. And so that my husband and I had made that decision. And so I didn't want to do that, but that forced my hand into, okay, if I can't do it, somebody else has to. And yeah. so I got to hire these incredible people. Um, and I don't know that I would have done that if it were about profit. Yep. Um, the other thing is we never, and I know that this is a luxury that most people don't get to have, but I started a business where I didn't need to make any money. I had a husband with a good job. I had already counted the cost of being home without income. And so I got to create a business where I got to turn away clients that didn't meet my criteria of a good place to work um, or that weren't nice to work with. Um, or that I didn't want to place people at because it just wasn't a good environment, right? So I got to create something not having to have a whole lot of money at the front end, which yeah. is a luxury. And that yeah. was a constraint that really helped me because it made me not have to take on stuff that then I had to get rid of later, mm -hmm. right? A lot of times when you start a company, I've, I've watched a bunch of my friends start companies and they kind of have to take on clients they never wanted to have or, or um, maybe, maybe do things that they never wanted to do. Um, and I was just fortunate that way. So yeah, I think constraints make you, I think constraints make you better. Yeah. I think you know? that's the secret. I mean, there's literally no, there's no telling, but were they right that if you had had those five years that the company could have done great things or has it done great things because you didn't have those five years, I think is a, is a great uh, philosophical question. But I do, I do think that even for our, our audience, I think it's good for them to think through, um, think this, through this constraint question and even places where it's like, where do they need to place it on themselves? Even for you, it was for the access of your personal life, to be able to get better. But what it created in the business was some really great problem solving, some really great um, innovation on how you outsource, you know, to play off your own name, innovation of how you outsource and, and found you know, your unique ability, I think is, is just magic. I thinking about a gentleman, um, this probably one of the more, uh, more respected, at least by me entrepreneurs that I know. And he talked about the worst, like startup that he ever got into was the one where he had the unlimited resources where he got like, he actually won all the funds. He got all the capital and he thought like, man, like we've done it. Like we finally did the big thing. We're not going to be bootstrapping anymore. Like we've got all the resources like, yeah, we just, yeah, we weren't as creative. We took forever to solve problems. We, you know, the, he's like, ultimately this company sucked. Like we, this was no fun. And, and he knows like, wow, you know what? Like the constraint actually created the best, um, most essence of, of a company. And I think that is a, a good thing for us to think through. Cindy, you and I both know Mike Opadal as well. Mike, just on his personal side, he created a, a constraint in his own work hours where he's like, I will always be done at work at 5.30 or something like that, where he was going to then be present with family. And then he would work after that, after I think it was like 8 o'clock, he would, he would give himself the freedom to work after that. But his, his family got better. He enjoyed life much better just by putting that constraint. He goes, man, the, the time will eat itself up. And then I end up getting mad and think about why isn't my family doing this or I get angry with the business. Um, but actually the business that he was running during that time 
uh, grew faster than it ever grown. Um, footprints out in Albuquerque had grown more than ever did when he made that decision and he ended up enjoying it more, which I just think there's certainly got to be some secrets out there for somebody listening. Um, now I'll add to that is that yeah. um, interestingly enough, as a business owner, um, you get a platform, right? So a lot of times people watch you and they ask you questions. Um, it's kind of daunting sometimes because they're watching you, right? People, people want to know. Um, so the thing that I get asked to coffee about the most is that is yeah. how did you grow a business and make um, your family a priority? And I don't know that I did it right or well, or I look back and I, you know, of course we'd all change some things. Um, but it's interesting to know that you can start a business, you can run a successful business and you don't have to give up your family. Yeah. It's not a, it's not something that you have to do, right? Choosing yeah. to do it. Now you, you may not have the biggest company and you may not have the most profit, but you know, when my kids walked across the stage to graduate from high school and when they, now that we have great relationships, my husband and I look back on that time and we would never give that up. Mm, you know, yeah. um, there has to be that. So again, sometimes as a business owner, you have to recognize that what you stand for is something that people are going to ask you questions about and what stories, you know, are you writing? Has your business grown because of people asking you that question? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I like to say that people like to use us because we um, give great service and we have candidates that nobody else can find. However, I think a lot of them love the story. Yeah. And they want to help a mom who wants to be home with her kids or a dad that, you know, we, we have great stories of like a dad who was a CEO, um, COO of a huge nonprofit in the Northeast that you would know the name of. Um, mm-hmm. He moved to Georgia because his wife was working for IBM, two twin daughters, and he all of a sudden decided, I don't want to miss any more of them growing up. So I'm going to stay home. And so we found him part-time job as a COO of a very small nonprofit. And he just flourished until his kids grew up. And then we found him a job as the COO of another big nonprofit. So, you know, wow. there's always time to kind of do those things. And I'm not saying everybody needs to work part-time and every parent needs to do that. We just feel like if there's somebody that wants that, we want to create that opportunity. Yep. And that is good. I wrote the question down. Uh, how much time does it take to do great work? I don't really think it's like anything we need to answer, but I do think it's something that came up as you were talking. I just wrote it down thinking about like, man, like the 40 hours a week or whatever, the the 70 hours a week. I mean, honestly, like you were talking about having a proclivity towards that. I'm like, yep. Like there's been some, definitely some days where I'm like, it's not that I think I need to, it's like, I kind of want to put the 70, but I think asking how much time does it really take to do great work creates efficiency and optimization towards a person's schedule and I think even towards a business, I think it's, it's really good because your business probably grew in some ways that it wouldn't have if you had made the, if you had made a counter decision, uh, which I think is, is awesome. I also think uh, it's, I was why, get, I also yeah, think it's why the book, the four hour work week took off. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. It's that it's, it's tapping into that, like either desire and or assumption or feeling like, I think this could be more efficient. Right. And I think that was a phenomenon just like yours and your business is, is, is proving to be yours are much more, um, uh, straight laced, I would say, right? Like, uh, his is more millennial, 
in more um, creative and different ways. Um, but I still think it's the same point. And um, so, yeah, I think that's super interesting. Uh, Jordan, I know you got a, a question before. I want, I want to jump back to something you told us to put a pin in. And before we do that, uh, Jordan, I'll let you ask that question. Yeah, I was thinking about going, um, going backwards too because it was a cultural question that I had because right now, uh, even the conversations that Drew and I are, are finding ourselves in because of the COVID circumstance that, man, we had to let go of a ton of people. We also have groups that they made their one cut and now they're actually hiring back. Uh, one of my own things that I've been saying is I actually think the most hiring mistakes are about to happen that have ever happened in my lifetime, maybe in both of our lifetimes. Uh, honestly, I think it's, it's one of those things where even, you know, innovative outsourcing, I think it's going to be the most opportunity to, to hire poorly. You mentioned your own bias when hiring, right? Your own unconscious bias towards affinity. I like these people. I want to spend time with these people. And thus I think I should hire them, but that's not always right. So yeah, I have like a little bit of a soapbox as I look towards the landscape and think, yeah, like, there's going to be, I hate that everybody's being, being let go and that our unemployment is so bad, but it also probably triggers that as things begin to ramp back up and we do begin to hire over the next years, I really think like the most misfits are about to, to happen ever if people don't take uh, a look at, to, at their bias, you know, that there's more opportunities for error than there will ever have been is kind of my anticipation. So this has given you a little bit of a softball of the, HR questions that you, you talk about a lot, but I'd really be curious of like, Hey, how do you help people pay attention to their biases? You know, hire more diversity, make sure that they're inclusive with their hiring. Like, how are you attacking those conversations? Anything that you'd recommend um, towards that? Yeah. So I do think it's a great opportunity to hire right now. Uh, we've been talking to our clients and, you know, in January, if you would have come to me and said, I need a controller, I would have said, okay, buckle up. This one's going to be tough, right? Because there's a shortage in Atlanta anyway of controllers. And so it's interesting that now we have a great opportunity to hire great people. Um, and so they have such a, such a wide variety. It's how do you choose who to hire? In January, they had exactly. a choice or two, and now they have unlimited choices. So what do we look at? That's exactly and, right. Yeah, and I think that um, that leads you to, I always say it leads you to using somebody like that is a human resources person that kind of knows how to hire, right? Um, because most people only hire once or twice a year. HR people hire all the time, and so we always say we're better at it. Um, I don't know if we really are, but um, yes, yeah. we'll be confident. The confidence has to count for something, you know, it's got to count for something. So, <laughs> um, and the reason why is because, you know, you look at a couple of different things. Um, you have to look at not only, and, and Jordan, you know, this because of what we work with, but you know, so many people just look at the skills required for the job. And I believe that used to be about 80, 85% of the job. It's now maybe 50%, right? That's right. the baseline. I mean, you gotta get, you gotta have the skills, right? But yeah. Anybody can find that, right? Anybody can give you, I can give you 10 resumes tomorrow on a job that has the skills. What's required up front is to figure out all the intrinsic little things that I need to know from culture to how you like to work to how you like to communicate with your employees. We just redid our entire hiring process for our clients and they now have this really interactive um, 
kind of uh, questionnaire that goes to them and it asks all kinds of interesting questions like um, what are your two biggest pet peeves of your employees? Mm. You know, questions like that, that we've formulated that can get me to what kind of person do I need to hire for you? Right. I mean, so we're asking, you know, what are the top three character qualities that you'd like to see? In fact, we asked them, who's your favorite employee on your staff? And can I talk to them for 30 minutes? Right. Because we are trying to really get to know what, because I can hire a great person with a great culture fit, but I need to really find out what makes them tick as the CEO. Right. And yep. what makes the person who's um, interviewing them or that they'll be their leader or manager. And so mm. we have all kinds of ways of finding that out. If you don't find that out on the front end, I'm going to be replacing that job in two years. And yeah. to me, it's very successful when we say we place somebody and they stay there forever. Right. Yeah. They stay there for four years. I guess there's no forever anymore. Um, but they yep. stay there for longer than than necessary. Although I know that the new mainstream kind of HR is we get them for two years, we use them and then they just go on and that's fine. I'm still a little bit more old school than that. I feel like, you know, the, the cost of replacing people right. and knowledge that walks out the door, maybe five years is fine. Two years just isn't um, for most positions. And, you know, I'd like 10 years if I could, because I do think that there's some value in that. So oh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of interesting schools of thought, but um, I do think hiring is going to be difficult. Um, as far as the diversity and inclusion piece goes, I mean, I think those are conversations that we have with our clients up front. You know, what are your diversity and inclusion goals? Most people don't even know what that is. And so mm-hmm. remember, I work with mostly small businesses who don't have an HR person. So when yeah. say that, they don't really understand. They don't know the difference between diversity and inclusion, um, those two words, and, and they don't even know that they should be looking for diversity they don't really know so it's an education process so that's i feel like it's an honor for us to go in and educate them on Mm. on those things and and ask them what their goals are and and what that looks like and what their messaging needs to be to their employees and what they've heard from their employees and then we kind of go along with that and try to help them from an hr standpoint understand how that should fit into their hiring and then we help them um, create that in their own organization cool man it's it's clear why you are so successful. You guys are innovative in in what you're doing, and it's customized in such a really cool way. To uh, especially if you're working with small small businesses, those early hires are so critical because the mistakes can't hide, right? It's like if it's your first few hires, your first dozen hires, like those mistakes are amplified. Uh, so you guys have obviously proven your uh, your ability through the track record. Of those kind of companies keep trusting you to place these people. I do want to go back because we promised we would, uh, and I know I know there's some gold there. I want to go back to when Delta tapped you on the shoulder. It was Delta, right? It was. And saw you as an HR, and for two for two reasons. One, because I'm always just fascinated by people that have an eye for talent and what are they picking up on it, and what did they recognize. And then two, you mentioned it actually being frustrating to you. So I want to touch on both of those. But first, what do you think they saw in you? Like you coming out of that kind of mathematical, detail-oriented background and them tapping you on the shoulder and you having an initial like, what? no, that doesn't, what, what, yeah, what do you think they were picking up on in you um, that would make you a great fit? Like, how are they a great talent spotter for you? Yeah, I think I was one of those um, rare people that somebody should have talked to in college to say, why are you getting this degree? Um, you know how we do that now because we personality profile people and people go through all kinds of 
you know, those kind of things. But in 1983, when I went to college, right? Yeah. yeah. People just let you be whatever you wanted to be, right? So when I showed up as a mathematical economics major at Wake Forest and I was a cheerleader and I walked into a classroom and most everybody else were male and didn't speak at all. They were just very quiet, right? Somebody should have said, hey, wrong major, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, most people were becoming actuaries and there's nothing wrong with being an actuary, but you generally like numbers sitting behind a computer, being very analytical. And I was a college cheerleader kind of out there, right? So somebody should have stopped me. Yeah. Um, but nobody did because they thought it was kind of cool that they have a, finally had a girl mathematical economics major at Wake Forest, right? So when I started interviewing for actuary jobs, I was like, this is terrible, right? <laughs> I, I don't want to yeah. do that. Not that it's bad. It was just bad for me. Right. Um, and so the only thing that I could find that was kind of in my degree was that lender position at at first, at, at first Union at, at Corporate Lending Program because that was numbers and people. Right. Mm. But that's what I think Delta saw. Right. Mm. They saw that I loved people. And that's still why I love human resources, because, you know, um, we have a new division in, in innovative outsourcing called Thriving, and it's outsourced HR. So we take over their HR departments for them. And wow. the reason we started that is because I have this passion for once we hire people into a company, I want to create a great environment for them. And a lot of small businesses can't afford an HR person, right? So we're outsourcing it for them so that we can give that to them. So they get all those services. And so it's been so fun because I love creating an environment for people, a safe place to work, a place that they can grow yeah. and, and take them from the time that they start with the company to the time that they end with that company and be able to go look what we've done for them, right? They've yeah. given us some pieces of their life, right? Some years and they've given us great work, but look what we've done for them. We've mm. grown them, we've helped them, we have nurtured them. And I can, I wanna honestly be able to say that when they leave us, they're way better than when they came to us, right? And they look back on their time with us and they go, oh my gosh, best boss ever, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm gonna work with those, I get to work with those CEOs that are creating those environments. And they don't really have anybody to help them do that. So I go back to Delta and I think that I have that. I love working with people. That's so fun. But at the same time, I recognize that the numbers orientation of me is what probably got me into HR at Delta because I know those numbers. And right. even now when I speak, I was speaking about employee engagement um, just last week at the um, SHRM, which is Society for Human Resources Management Conference. And I use all numbers in my speeches generally because things like employee engagement, did you know that for the top quartile of people in a company that are at highest employee engagement, those companies that have people that are highly engaged are 20% more profitable. They have 59% wow. less turnover. You know, those kind of things are numbers that equate to bottom line profitability. Yep. So I believe that if you work on these HR things like employee engagement, we see bottom line differences. Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. empirical data to suggest that, right? Yeah. So yep. I love that. I love to go to my clients and say, it matters how engaged your employees are. Yeah. Because it will translate to profitability. It mm. matters how engaged your employees are because that matters in turnover and in, in productivity, right? And yep. so my clients that work with us, see that 
when they ask me questions like, how am I going to keep their engagement up during remote work? Oh, well, that's easy, right? We're just going to tweak some things, right? Because that's an easy thing to do, but it's really important because our profitability two years from now is going to be tied yeah. to that. Anyway, wow. I think that's what Delta saw in me. And then I got to do a stint with Delta for the last three years. I've spent about a day a week at Delta. Um, just wow. recently. And I got to, it's been so fun. Um, I got to um, reimagine their employee onboarding experience. So we got to figure out how to, um, how to hire, and not hire, but how to onboard well 15,000 employees a year. And that's was so fun. Um, we got to create a day, day experience day and they let me just kind of have an open book and um, create what I wanted to create. So that was really fun. And then also the um, engagement experience for our new officers and directors. So that was just really fun. So again, some creative stuff, but also they understand that onboarding well leads to profitability, right? Leads to engagement, yes. to profitability. So even big companies are understanding that. Yeah. Yeah. We're in conversations like that often where for the first time they're starting to see that, but it is being more prevalent that they're, they're realizing taking care of and engaging your employees will take care of the profits, right? Like they are interconnected. Yeah. There's um, a great book called the advantage by Patrick Lenciani. Yes, um, yeah. I'm sure you guys have probably read it. Um, for those of you that are listening, if you want a good book to read, that is, it's a little, okay. So you've got to read it awake right? You don't want to read it almost sleeping because there's a lot of data in it. But it's a really good um, book that talks about organizational health. And that doesn't mean benefits and, you know, medical health. It means organizational health, like, you know, how, how healthy is an organization? And, and how much time do you spend on these things like employee engagement and making sure they're communicating with people and all kinds of things. And mm -hmm. it's amazing how you look at those and it compares and contrasts companies in the same industry at the same time frame, those that did um, and put in the work for organizational health and those that did not. And it is absolutely clear that the data suggests that the ones that put in the time and spent the effort on organizational health were more profitable. Yeah. So, you know, we can say all that we want here about, gosh, I don't want to spend the time doing that. It seems touchy feely, but in the end, if it matters to pro um, profitability, who we hire and then how we treat them. And that makes sense. It makes as much sense as your marketing plan or your operational, yeah. you know, yeah. people don't have a real talent plan and this, it really makes sense. It needs to be not just the, the bad stepchild. It needs to be kind of part of the, long-term business strategy. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That, and again, what you're getting into is something we, we talk about a lot, which is HR typically gets grouped into, at least in my conversations thus far as being grouped more into compliance and benefits, which is absolutely, you know, the legal side of HR, totally important. Got to have that place. And, and honestly, the HR leaders that I talk to most often are overwhelmed with the amount of work they have in that field while they have a heart for the HR strategy stuff that you're talking about, the, the organizational health development, the people development, the onboarding experience, the actual, you know, addressing engagement. Uh, but that is a tension that they all seem to, ex to experience is they, I would say they don't have the time or the ability to focus, or maybe they don't have the constraints uh, based on our conversation earlier to get into that place where actually talent strategy is very much um, an executive function that needs to be aligned with their business strategy. And it has bottom line, bottom line results is, is 
is just inevitable, I guess. There's lots of hidden costs where you go, oh my gosh, wait a minute, look at what we ended up spending or the opportunity costs that we missed out on. Um, yeah, that's that's good. Thank you for, for hitting that. Yeah, so one question we like to ask, uh, and then before we get into the lightning round, but this is actually a, a consistent question. We should probably build it into the lightning round because we end up asking it every time. Uh, yeah. But it's just interesting because we're talking to successful founders, right? So people that have a business that's working and growing, even even though, you know, everyone's taking a hit with COVID and that kind of thing. Um, my question would be, even in the midst of all that success, we know that problems never go away. We know that challenges never go away and even consistent ones. And so what I'm curious about is what would be an example of a consistent present problem that you guys still face as a company that is not all blue sky and no challenges. What's something you guys are still even now working out, like trying to think through as a company? Yeah, you know, since we're a staffing and recruiting firm, mostly, that's where most of our money comes from, um, I say, I think business development remains a challenge. It doesn't remain a challenge for our, now we've built a great refer network just because, honestly, I've been in business so long and, you know, your reputation does precede you to some extent, which is sure. awesome, right? Because it kind of builds itself. But how do you get to those new companies? Because I sell something that's expensive, right? And are you going to trust me to hire somebody important for you, right? So it's not something that somebody reads in, you know, they Google companies that hire and decide, hey, I want to hire her to, to, to fill this very important position managing the money of my company or right, right. Know, people of my company, those kind of things. So that remains to me a challenge. I call it, a, I call it the mystery of innovative outsourcing because I think it's because I'm an HR person. I'm not a, I'm not a marketing person. I'm not a salesperson. So getting to new companies, because I cannot tell you how many times we start working with a company and they're like, man, I wish I'd known about you 10 years ago because I didn't even know a company like you existed. Right. And that sounds great. But usually I leave those meetings and I'm like, Dead gum. Why can't we figure out how to give them information so yeah, they yeah. find out about us? Um, yeah. So, and, and that changes, right? Marketing changes over the years. Um, when I first started, everybody was like, you need to do direct mail. I'm not kidding. That was back in the day. You know, then it was email marketing and now nobody answers emails anymore. And then it was like, do you pick up the phone? Do you send a widget to somebody? You know, those kind of things just, they keep changing. And I feel kind of like um, we throw spaghetti on a refrigerator and sometimes it sticks and sometimes it doesn't, but I don't feel very strategic about it. I always kind of feel like I'm going to right. gambling. So I will say that that always remains a problem. I will say that the, the running a staffing and recruiting firm, that's not a problem. Finding great people. I have a great staff. Um, putting together a quality product that I'm never concerned about. Right. Mm. I'm always concerned about how do you stay growing? And yeah. then, of course, the age-old question about how do you create recurring revenue in a business that is a staffing and recru recruiting firm, right? Yeah. It's, it's a challenge in my industry. Yeah. So how are you guys going about solving that? Are you, are you, putting, are you guys trying to solve that? Does it just remain like one of those things in the corner we just ignore? Like what, what does that look like for you guys to take on that challenge? Okay, I did in the corner for a long period of time, and I recognized it just doesn't go away that you don't have a recurring revenue stream. Now, we yes. have a little bit of recurring revenue because, remember, those people stay on my payroll. 
and in many cases they're still they're upcharged and so yes staffing firms do have some recurring revenue but it ends over a period of time sure um, hence the new thriving product that's our in, that's our hr outsourcing so that'll be a monthly fee um, yeah. instead of hourly placement income yeah uh, and that should be hopefully something that people won't hire people from us to do that it'll be a monthly service so we're gonna if we haven't rolled it out it rolls out september one so stay tuned hoping that works i mean it, it fills my passion because I love HR and we don't get to do a ton of it, right? Cause we do staffing and recruiting, which is only a little piece. And so mm -hmm. scratching the itch of getting to help companies with something we love, um, but in a different way. Yeah. And what about helping that recurring revenue thing? What about the same question towards the, the business marketing side, that part of getting out there and I wish people had heard about us sooner. What is, what does it look like for you guys trying to solve that problem? That's a really good question. If you have that answer, let me know. I'm kidding. Uh, so, you know, every once in a while you stumble onto something and um, I will say that the coronavirus helped us hmm. um, in a very odd way. We decided early on. So um, we, uh, in about day two, remember about March 13th or 15th when everything was shutting down like that yeah. week that everything shut down. Yeah. Well, we were in the pipeline for about $80,000 of placements that all yeah. stopped in one day, wow. right? So all of a yep. sudden you're like, oh my gosh, my staff has nothing to do, right? Everything stopped. And we started thinking about, oh my gosh, how are we gonna make ends meet, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, um, when 2011 happened, I, re I or, um, or anyway, so when 2001 happened and then when the recession happened, we did something each one of those times and we kind of decided to do the same thing this time. And we said, okay, if nobody's going to pay us right now to hire anybody, what do people need from us? So what can we give away? Mm -hmm. So we started internally having work streams that were not about how we were going to get money. It's how we were going to give free help. Yes. And so we started figuring out what are the podcasts or the um, videos that I need to put together. I mean, we would put together a video every two days. Um, my staff and I, um, you know, because so much of this was an HR thing, right? People were right. worried about their people um, getting COVID. People were worried about the Family First Coronavirus Act, that Sick Pay Act. Um, and then the PPP loan and all this had to do very much with human resources issues. So we started, I started just honestly, not professionally, but videos, you know, just kind yeah. of like Zoom videos, recording information as I got it about what I thought, along with my friends that were employment lawyers. So we would do 10 minute videos and we would put them out there not to make money, but just to say, here we are. And I put something out there that said free consulting, call me, like call me, we can call my staff, but, and I would, I did a Calendly and they could just talk to me. Yep. Um, and I had business owners I have never heard of before in the Atlanta area, big business owners, small business owners, all calling me and asking me for advice. And I would be on the phone with them for hours, for days. Um, not expecting anything, but I just felt like, okay, we've gotten business from the Atlanta community for years and years and years. Let's give it back. And wow. so answering questions, questions that I didn't know I'd get answers to, you know, from an HR perspective. I mean, that's all I know. And so that was so fun. 
Heck Honestly, yeah. it was the funnest. I mean, I hate when a client, I had um, a, a company that you all would probably recognize the name to call me and say, you know, just the CEO in tears saying, I have to let three quarters of my employees go today. How do I do it? Right. So they were fun conversations, but I felt like at the end of the day, when I put my head on the pillow, I was like, oh my gosh, we helped somebody. Yeah. And it was really fun. And that's how we birthed the idea of thriving, which is the outsourcing, because mm. I loved that so much, helping all those business owners that I thought, we need to do this. Wow. Yeah, we can make some money out of it, but right now we need to give it away. Interestingly enough, a lot of those companies that we connected with during that time, they're calling me to hire now. Yep. Yeah. So um, it's not the traditional marketing and I did not do it to market. I mean, I didn't, I did it because honestly we didn't have any jobs and I needed something to do. And I yeah. wanted that. I mean, I just, it was so hard. You know, those first few weeks were so hard. Right. And we right. were so confused that I thought if there's anything I can do to make somebody feel better about their situation and help them a little, let's do it. Yeah. Well, I think that in yeah. some ways that's the secret to the sales is I have to be able to give value to my market and then they exchange value back to me for the value. And I think that is, is a secret. I love it. Just a little bit that you mentioned, this is your third time going through something like this. I think for us, Hey, we're interviewing fast growing companies. A lot of them, their story may have started in 2007, 2009. Uh, quite a few of the ones it's like they, this is maybe the first time they've ever experienced something. So even that thought of like, yeah, each one of these times I double down, think about how do I give value? That's the time. It's not the time to ask as soon as I, because everything makes you feel like you want to grab and yep. hold on and take, you know, because we, we shared prior to the podcast interview, just some of the dry experience of like, that is definitely your natural reaction. But then actually the, the giving out is exactly a similar thing that, that we tried to do as well. Trying to, to give back as much as possible to go counter your self-preservation instincts. Uh, that is yeah, awesome. We, we were, uh, we're, we still are fortunate to have a, a mentor who's a, a you know, a several times CEO of major uh, fortune 500 companies. And we called him when COVID hit, he'd been speaking at our business for so long. And that was actually one of his piece of advice, just like yours. Yeah. He was like, this is a time with no strings attached you need to give value. And he even gave us the name. He was like, you guys are gonna be foxhole coaches. You're gonna jump in the foxhole with these business leaders. And so we did, yeah. free, we did free foxhole coaching for months where, and some have turned around, some haven't come back and it doesn't matter, right? It's like, and this podcast came out of that as we were listening to them. We were having so many conversations with other CEOs that we were like, God, I wish they could share each other's wisdom, you know? And that pod, this podcast came out of it. Like, man, let's just interview them. And then they can listen in all these different business owners, whatever stage of growth they're at and pick up something, even just one little something that you might've said on this podcast could change the trajectory of how people make decisions of how they treat their people, of how they hire, whatever it is. Right. And they have these kind of these downstream effects. So I would encourage you to keep going that direction, not just the free value, but actually um, the voice, the establishing of your voice. So we interviewed uh, Sangram uh, from Terminus. And he does account-based marketing. And one of the things that he talked about uh, that both was a strategy and wasn't a strategy was he, he created a conference called the Flip My Funnel uh, Conference. And it is, just for, uh, it is just for marketers, right? And he actually brings in people that would be seen as this competition. So it's like literally he just wants it to be the conversation that he wants to take place with the people 
that he is in business with in particular, right? He's like, we've never ever directly marketed ourselves in any of these conferences, even though we're hosting it, we're doing whatever, we've never promoted ourselves, but we've gotten so much business from it simply because he started to become a leader of that conversation. And their mission as a company is to make marketers the heroes of their organization, right? And I see a similar thing with you guys. It's like you guys make HR the heroes of their organization, right? And so it's like, how could you start something like that? Virtual, whatever, that isn't directly me in nature. It's actually like for anyone interested, small business owner, whatever, like we're going to bring in world-class conversations around these kinds of problems. And I don't even have to pitch you me. At the end of the day, if you really connect, you'll find out, you'll search who I am, you'll see what I do, and you'll connect with me afterwards. But I think that could be a really um, genuine way. And that's why I think that you and I, that's what we, we resonate with. Like we're really allergic to disingenuine types of marketing because we've experienced it, you know? And so that was been our whole, our whole challenge during, com, during COVID is like, can we market? Can we grow in a way that we're proud of and in a way that like even fits our personality, right? Um, I think something like that, especially you're already a keynote speaker. You're already so thoughtful and wise and that kind of thing. I'm like, I could totally see you starting a version of that marketing conference for small business owners and HR needs and that kind of thing that would really blow up. And if you need help, let us know. We'd, we, we'd be happy to, to help you with that. Thank you. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, it's amazing how HR has kind of always looked at the just as the thing you have to do. Yes. Um, but it's so fun. And if people would really embrace all the strategy piece of it, I think they'd, they'd realize that it could really propel their business. Absolutely. Yeah. Man. All right, Jay Money, take us into um, the lightning round. Lightning round. All right, Cindy, five question lightning round. Um, get ready. So uh, question number one is, if you can ingrain one message into an organization, specifically maybe into your organization, what would it be? You mean one message that um, about, about like for my staff or? Yeah, for your staff. Yeah. Like if they saw it every day, you'd literally want them to see it every day, that message to get through to them. What would that be? Yeah, we're four people. Mm. I mean, we're for these moms and dads. We're for our clients. Um, that's the really fun part. I mean, they need to be for them. If I don't, if I hire people that want to make deals, shame on me right? Yeah. I need to hire people who want to create lasting relationships with people so that five years from now, they look back and go, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what we got when we used innovative outsourcing. Or my favorite is when a candidate who doesn't get a job with us tells somebody about how great they were treated. Yeah. Right? Easy for a candidate who did get a job with us to say, oh my gosh, innovative outsourcing treated me well. But when you have somebody that didn't get a job and isn't qualified for one of our positions to come out with a really po positive um, feeling about how they were treated here, mm. we win, right? Yeah. So my staff always knows, I say the same thing. Whoever comes in contact with us, whoever they are, whether they do business with us or they don't, they're better off when they leave us than when they came. And yeah. that's, that's been resonating in hopefully with my staff for 26 years. Yeah. Love it. Uh, love that. Uh, question number two. Uh, it's twofold. There's actually two questions inside of question number two. Uh, what's the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and what's the worst advice you've gotten? 
Okay, I'm gonna do the worst advice first. Yep. Find a partner no matter what. Okay. That was the advice. People, I've gotten so many people that said just find a partner, right? Okay, so that's not bad or good. So I've been through a lot of um, friends, partner breakups within their businesses, right? Or ones yeah. that succeeded greatly. Um, but I've done this without a partner and it's fine, right? You don't yeah. have to have a partner. Yeah, that doesn't mean that that wouldn't have been fun. Um, but I, I think that was a bad piece of advice. I guess the other bad piece of advice is every time I mentioned what I did for my business, they were like, why don't you work full time? Mm. Yeah. So everybody was like, you should really work full time if you want to be, if you want to be um, looked at as a real business owner. Yeah. I just cannot tell you how many times people told me that. So Oops, I'm glad yeah. I didn't follow that advice because that wouldn't have met my goals and my husband and I's objectives. Right. Yeah. Or the yep. mission. Right. Um, yep. The advice that I did follow um, was to always seek wise counsel. Mm -hmm. um, the advice on getting advice. <laughs> I guess yeah. yeah. um, I started being part of a Vistage group 15 years ago. Probably the best money I've ever spent in my entire life. Yeah. Uh, it was a group of business owners that meet monthly, you know, one of these CEO roundtable mm -hmm. groups. I'm also in a WPO group, which is Women's President's Organization, which is kind of a CEO roundtable for women. And yeah. it's has been the best thing for me because when you go from being a person who works in a large company, like I did at Delta to owning a company, being with people around you that don't have a stake in what you're doing, meaning they're not your employees, you're not paying them. Yep. Right. And so I found in Vistage and in WPO, a group of people that would tell me when I was doing things wrong, that would challenge me, that would say, Cindy, you are so risk averse all the things are lining up. You just need to go. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And there's not a lot of people that will challenge you. And so being in groups of people that say, call you out and challenge you and say, is that part of your mission? Hmm. That doesn't sound like it. Right. That is huge. And people that I can say, what do you think about this? I used to say um, before Matt was in the company that if something happened to me and I get hit by a truck, somebody just needed to go to my Vistage group and they would run the company. Wow. Until somebody could figure out what to do. Wow. Because they knew my company and they loved me so well mm. that they would do that. Yeah. So over the years, those relationships have done wonders. So get yourself yeah. a group of people and continue to seek wise counsel because even though you think you know what you're doing, you really don't. Yeah. The older I'll affirm I that. You've said that uh, ever since I've known you. You've always mentioned that group. Uh, just it doesn't have to be that group. I love that organization, but you know, yeah. just, you find people who are not your yes men. You find people yeah. who will challenge you and, and then you gird your, so you're one of those people that is a little thinner skinned. You get a thick skin and you say, what am I doing wrong? And yeah. you take it because those kind of people are the people that are going to keep you in business. I love that. Um, good answers. Question number three. Being completely honest, what's the secret fear that keeps you up at night? Mm. I would say that um, I love human resources. And the more, the bigger my business gets, I don't get to do it. Mm. And I think I have a, I have a, I love individually working with business owners. That's really fun. But 
as you get more up and running a company, you don't naturally get to do that. So how do I re-engage my love of that and grow the thing at the same time? Mm, cool. Yeah. Uh, question number four, what's the dream result that you're driving towards every day? So when I think about what success is, I think about that mom who calls me on the phone who used to work full time. She has four kids and now she gets to be at home and has work-life balance. And she calls me and says, I have never been happier. I get to do what I, that's success, right? So yeah. how do we make sure that there's more of those people out there, right? Or the person that whose kids were home, she never worked and she got to get back into the workforce so she can pay for college full time. Mm -hmm. You know, she was working full time so she can pay for college. You know, those kind of things. It's like, I love those. How do we, how do we expand that? How do we create a way that I get to do that other places? So maybe the dream is to do this in other cities. I, we really haven't started trying to do that. I think Matt, my son, has a real passion for that. Um, and then this thriving concept, kind of the how do we help people, once we hire them a person, how do we help right. create an environment where the person wants to stay? Yeah. So if those yeah. can grow, I would love that. Cool. Uh, those are good. Number five, uh, if you could hop in a DeLorean, Go back for five seconds to your past. You get to shout one thing to yourself from the driver window. When would you go back and uh, what would you say? Um, I think I probably wouldn't have told those clients, don't tell anybody about us. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that in 26 years later, I'm going to talk about my business development struggles. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you can see there's this, there's this line that goes from all those years. But yeah, I think that I would probably not do that. I think I was so fearful of growth at that point because I wanted to make sure that I didn't work over the number of hours that I set in my mind. Um, that I think... I think it could have grown faster if I would have been less risk averse. And I think the other thing I would shout is stop being so risk averse because I might be the most risk averse person you've ever met, which risk aversion and business ownership do not exactly go together. So <laughs> it's not the perfect mix. No, exactly. not. Probably the yeah. most risk averse person we've interviewed thus far, but that's okay. So risk terrible. <laughs> but you have, you have calibrated well enough that you have yes. an incredibly successful career. So make yeah. sure you give yourself credit for that. No, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been incredibly insightful and uh, I can't wait to share this with everybody. So again, thank you for being Jordan's friend first. Now my friend, thank you for being a friend of the podcast and coming on here and sharing your wisdom with everybody. Well, thanks again for the time and you guys have a great day. Thank awesome. you. You too. Thanks, Cindy. All right, folks. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Head to 0to5000.com for exclusive tools to grow your business. That's Z-E-R-O-T-O-5000.com.